This is an NBA Sound System presentation of The Pickup Game with Seth Greenberg, produced by Hall Pass Media. To watch the entire video series, visit hallpassnetwork.com. Now, to The Pickup Game. Welcome to Pickup Game. Uh, I'm Seth Greenberg. I'm really excited to be joined by Coach Musselman, Coach Brooks, and Coach Smart. Uh, we're just going to kind of talk a little bit of ball, talk about things that are going on. But before we do that, like we start all of these uh, broadcasts, this is our fourth episode. We want to make sure we thank the doctors and the nurses, the hospital workers, the people that move our food chain, uh, the EMT people, uh, and all the people that are sacrificing each and every single day uh, to enable us to have some semblance of a, a normal lifestyle. Those people are, are truly our heroes, and and really, they're the people that are making a difference, and hopefully someone very brilliant will come along and uh, find a vaccine or something to mitigate this terrible virus and we'll be able to get back to our normal lives but i really do appreciate you guys being here and uh we're just going to talk ball i mean i think it's one of the things that we all miss the most with everything that's gone on the last two months is that we miss the opportunity of uh of our teams uh, of our support systems of talking ball of just changing ideas and and living everyday life so i, I really do appreciate you guys being here the first thing is obviously the last dance has been incredible uh it's mesmerizing in a lot of ways and i just want to kind of get from you guys uh we'll start with Mus. Uh, you know what what was your takeaway from last night if you had a chance to watch it i mean i think there's so many lessons every night um that go into the show and the production how you know they've really led us behind the scenes and to think that the players allowed the cameras that much access to me is the most incredible thing and i have a unique perspective because um, I was an assistant with the Orlando Magic at the time and working for Coach Chuck Daly. So a lot of those early episodes, uh, those first four that had a lot of the Pistons stuff in there with Coach Daly, um, you know, we had our own Jordan rules in Orlando that did not work nearly as well as they worked when he was with the Pistons. <laughs> How about you, Scott? Uh, I love it. I love watching it. Can't get enough of it. The, the, the crazy thing that I – you know, everybody knows how hard he worked, how dedicated to the game, how obsessed he was to win the championship, how tough he was on teammates. And, but he did everything that he ever asked his teammates to do. But the most incredible thing, I always saw that, I always known that he smoked his cigars after the six championships. I didn't realize he smoked cigars throughout the day. <laughs> you see, like every clip, he has a cigar in his mouth. I said, holy cow. Oh, shock. Yeah, it's been just great to use as a tool to communicate with our players about. Uh, obviously, with no games going on right now, it's really the the central focus of anyone that, that loves basketball. So uh, we just ask our players after each week to send us some feedback on what stood out to them, what was the most impactful. And it's been interesting because you get different things from different players. Uh, I think the one thing that's been across the board is guys have a level of uh, appreciation for Michael Jordan, and even for that era of basketball, more so than they did before. Did you guys get caught up how emotionally was about when he started talking about winning? Yeah. Like, like, like for you guys, like, I don't have a team anymore. So like for you guys, do you have anyone like, like he got emotional when he talked about the sacrifice of leadership and the, and, and the responsibility of competing. But when he started to talk about just the essence of winning, what was your guys' take on that? Because that, that kind of moved me last night. 
I thought the amazing thing was, um, you know, because they were talking about, you know, him being liked. Um, and that's where I thought he really got emotional was, uh, you know, he was going to put winning and driving his teammates over being a guy that was perceived as being a nice guy and being and liked. And, um, you know, when you're in that leadership type position, obviously that he was, uh, he made a decision that the only thing that was important to him is how to get the win um, and not about friendship or anything like that. And so I thought that's when he actually said, hey, let's cut. We need to take a break because um, everybody, all of us would like to be, you know, well liked or perceived in that positive light. But to him, the only thing that mattered was the W's. That's a good point. Yeah, Coach, Coach Greenberg, I think um, the best thing overall about this whole documentary is that it shows the human side of Michael Jordan, but at the same time shows how superhuman he was as a player and his approach. And, you know, just the emotion. Anyone that had a hard time understanding the competitiveness and the just sheer intensity that he had, all they have to do is watch that clip. And there's a, you know, there's a feeling that you get. So that was, that was awesome. Also, I, I think um, B.J. Armstrong had a really good point. He said that um, if you don't, if you didn't truly love the game, you would have a difficult time playing with Jordan. And to me, uh, we've all been around guys, uh, even at the NBA level, that man, if this guy just loved the game, if this guy just worked a little bit harder, he would he would be at another level. But it always happens. But he only he, you could tell that everybody around him loved the game. They played hard every night and practiced hard. Their practices were just as competitive as their game to prepare to his will to prepare to uh, to win is just uh, incredible. When you say love the game, like do you think right now, you know, the kid, everyone wants to get to the league. They think and they think it's a rite of passage. I, I think that's the one of the most frustrating things for me is, you know, I just sit and watch a zillion games and then I listen and hear about all these young guys and, you know, whether it's the NBA Academy or whether it's just a typical freshman shocker that would play for you. If you asked any of those guys, they think the NBA is a rite of passage, not a goal. Um, yet, like to me, like he, he, do the players today love the game the same way or do they love what comes with the game? And, and you know, that's kind of a, I, I'm sitting there and I'm going, I'm, I'm trying to think about the, players today where do you think they stand all you guys are still coaching players i mean your team scott he's probably you got guys younger than some of the guys that must and shock i mean shocker your big guys only stick around for about seven months so i mean <laughs> i mean like where do you guys see, see that in in today's player go ahead Moss. i mean i you know i i think that you know i mean i remember being with the uh timberwolves when when scotty was there and, you know, there was guys that were drafted then, um, you know, maybe a Gerald Glass that didn't have the same drive as, as maybe like the Martin twins did who played for us at Nevada and were in their rookie year this year. So I, I don't I think it's hard to just say that, you know, today's kids uh, don't want it or aren't as competitive. I, I, you know, obviously, you know, Jordan was even way more competitive than some of his teammates in Chicago, which is which is why he was trying to push and pride and you saw all the Scotty Burrell stuff. And, um, but, but I, you know, in my five years of coaching college, I've been around some in, incredibly determined people. Like I said, the Martin twins and Jordan Caroline and, 
and guys that are extremely motivated. But I do think that, that, that players don't understand how hard it is to not just make an NBA summer league team, but how hard it is to stick in the league. That to me is the hardest thing to try to convey to today's young players. They, you know, even we have a couple guys that are in the, in the draft right now, they're, they're testing the waters. One of them, the other one's got an agent. And, and I said to one of them, like, what's going to happen if you don't get drafted? And do you ever think that in, in 12 more months, there's going to be another 60 players that are drafted. Um, and then you got to try to beat those 60 out along with anybody that would come back from overseas. So I just think it's really difficult for players to understand how hard it is to have a career at the NBA level. Scotty, like, like, do you look at it, you, you know, you, you're putting together an NBA roster and, and like, do you look at it like sometimes these guys don't really understand, like I always say to, to jump from high school to college, some guys make it look easy, but it's pretty hard. The, the jump from college to your league uh, for an 18 and 19 year old, unless you're a freak. I mean, how hard is it? I mean, uh, Coach Muss has a good point. I mean, it, it's so difficult to make the NBA. I mean, there's every year there's 60 new players, European players. Every it's all it's a global sport. It's a global uh, league now, and it, it's hard. I mean, you see it every year. You have to make you have to make these tough decisions that down to the last roster spot or the last couple of roster spots that you have to cut guys and and you're thinking to yourself, man, this guy still has two or three years of college. Just think if he would have stayed in, and but you see it all the time. But it's it's hard, you know. It's very difficult. It's not an easy easy um, league to make. Uh, I, but I, I I believe that players, you know, even back then to players now, they you have some guys that are super competitive and some guys that are not so competitive. They just have a great skill set or great you know athletic ability. But uh, to make it, it's it's tough to stick. It's even tougher. Shock. How hard is it for you? I mean, like. You have to almost you, – you're trying to manage your roster, but it's hard to manage your roster because you could have one voice in a kid's ear that's going to tell him what he wants to hear as opposed to, like, the truth. Like, I, you know, what, this thing that happened this past week with Pat Ewing, with the kid Matt McClung, I don't know if you guys probably didn't follow, but Ewing had a kid, Matt McClung, nice player. Uh, and Pat did an interview, said, you know what, I, th- I think he, you know, we expect him to come back. I mean, he put his name in but he was trying to get information. He's not an NBA player right now. And all of a sudden his agent, some guy that the closest thing he places he ever got to the NBA is like maybe getting a guy in summer league, telling him everything he wants to hear. I mean, it was like a joke and killing Pat Ewing, like one of the top 50 players in the history of the game, who does a great job of coaching and is just real. I mean, how like shock, how difficult is it to eliminate static and still be demanding on your guys? Well, I mean, you you touched on probably the most challenging part is, you know, we end up, I guess, being the bearers of bad news when we tell the truth. Um, you know, I, I think part of the challenge, and Coach Brooks just hit on this, is there's a di- big difference between, quote unquote, making the NBA and turning that into a career in the NBA. Uh, you know, there's there's guys that, you know, might play in summer league or guys that get a two-way contract or whatever it may be. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a long-term career in the NBA, which is obviously what all players that come to the high major level set out to do. So our job is to try to really be clear with them on the areas of growth that they're going to need to 
undertake, and that's both on and off the court in, able, in order to handle that life, uh, in order to handle the physical and mental and emotional challenges of it. Uh, you know, delayed gratification is a tough thing nowadays, uh, but that's exactly, you know, what needs to happen for certain guys. Now, there's other guys that, you know, boom, they, you know, they just get it and they're, they're off. But I would say uh, the people in the first category is more so more of them than there is in the second. Like Jackson Hayes, his dad was an NFL guy, right? He worked in the NFL, played in the NFL. I mean, how different was his process than maybe, and he and he was a late bloomer that all of a sudden blew up. Jackson Hayes played six minutes a game as a junior in high school. Uh, Jackson Hayes was a throw-in on his AAU team. He played with with uh, Romeo Langford's AAU team and just happened to, to be out there playing. But the thing that Jackson Hayes had going for him and still has going for him is he's going like this. And so the trajectory that guys are on is so incredibly important, particularly for bigger guys. Um, you know, he came in here and he didn't plan on being a one and done. In fact, coach, his mom called me after the season and she said, can you talk him into coming back to school? Because she didn't think like he was emotionally ready. And I was like, no, uh, there's no way. He's you know projected as a lottery pick and that's where his mind's at. And that's what he's going to do. Just finishing up with the last dance, Scotty Pippen. I think Mus, you said you coached him. Someone co did someone was someone involved with like my dad. My dad coached Scotty in Portland. Yeah, in Portland. Like like Scotty Pippen. He doesn't like. I, I I love his game. I mean, just you talk about a Swiss Army knife, a guy that the per perfect quote unquote positionless player because everyone's got to have a a name about them these days. But like the whole idea about the migraine headache where Jordan killed him, and then not going in the game uh just dealing with that as a head coach in the league or just it, it doesn't seem like it's stuck with him but what was your guys take because to me he comes across as like the world's greatest teammate until you look at those two incidents i i can certainly speak for how my dad felt and that was the last time that my dad had coached before he passed away um, and I remember being in the Mayo Clinic with my dad the last 11 days of his life, and, and Portland was in a playoff series. Um, and he called all the players individually uh, before each of their playoff games, and he probably talked to Scottie Pippen and, and Damon Stoudemire longer than, than, than any of the other guys. And, and every time he hung up with Pippen, he would, he would say the word class, um, that he was a great teammate, he was really coachable, um, you know, sometimes, you know, I mean, those two incidents, obviously, because of the way the Bulls were winning and the stage that they were on became magnified. But um, I know like Scotty can talk about, you know, there's something every day in an NBA locker room um, <laughs> that happens. Uh, some are publicized and some aren't. So um, but as a whole, Scotty Pippen was an incredible teammate and an inc incredible unselfish player scott is that the hardest thing in the nba i mean like i know in college it is the static around players and the unrealistic expectation what's the hardest thing about being an nba head coach on a day-to-day -day basis well it's it's the grind every day uh you're you're always at it like eric said there's always something and there is you try to limit that as best you can uh, but there's a there's a lot of money involved. Uh, players, uh, the bottom line of you, you you get minutes, you get more shots, you get more points. You probably average, uh, you probably average more, and then then you get paid more money. So there's a lot of things that 
that go on, but you just try to, you know, you just try to keep, keep it, keep it real with the players. You know, the thing was, the thing was Scotty Pippen that you've said, uh, Eric, like your dad said, who I played for a few times is class. And Steve Kerr said it wasn't his character. Uh, it just surprised him that you know, he would do that. But the, the crazy thing that it, I, I saw is when they interviewed Scotty recently, he said, you know, I wish it didn't happen, but I wouldn't change a thing. It's kind of confused me a little bit uh, because that, that wasn't his character. And that's something that he doesn't want to be labeled as, as the guy who put on his team. You know, it's interesting you say about the money. Shaka, this NIL thing's going to pass. And I had this argument with my dear friend Jay Billis all the time. Like he says, that, that won't be an issue in the locker room. But the reality of the reality is that when money is involved, especially coming out of this economy, and agents or representatives are involved now as well, how, how hard is that going to be to handle? And like, how do, you, how do you even go about dealing with it? with your players. Yeah, that's, it's going to be really, really interesting. I, I think the uh, biggest challenge right now is the powers that be are trying to figure out a way to separate name, image, and likeness from, you know, coaches, athletic departments, boosters, sponsors of schools. And I just don't see how that happens. Um, and, and so unless you get that separation, uh, there's going to be, you know, some real challenges and, you know, not to be come across as, as soft, but I, I actually worry coach about the, uh, the mental health of the guys that don't, you know, get, uh, you know, a lot of love with name, image, and likeness, you know, I worry about, you know, we live in such a, a society of comparison, comparison to thief of joy. And, uh, that, that's going to be magnified 10 times. I'll tell you, I really believe the name, image, and likeness. And I know, Mus, I'm, I'm interested on your take because you're a big social media guru now, or Danielle's a social media guru, and you've just kind of riding that train. But like, like to me, the where the money's going to be made is in social media. Like, like the, where the money's going to be made is as an influencer. So, like, you sign a player, or shock, you sign a player. A big part of what you guys are going to probably have to do is upgrade your social media presence. And then when you sign a kid, say, oh, hey, we just signed Shaka Smart. He's a great follow. You got to follow him. So now all of a sudden he's got a million followers and he can monetize that. I mean, is, I mean, is, that, is that actually going to be part of the recruit? I mean, not part of the recruiting process because it's a violation. Scotty, you think your locker room's messed up. These two dudes, they are social media gurus, recruiters, coaches. I mean, boss, how do you, how do you look at that? I'm just I'm just like trying that. to get on and follow my daughters and my son <laughs> on Instagram. Gosh, you guys, I don't know how you guys do it. I, I do. Um. I do think with the, uh, you know, with, with how many followers you have, with what your personal brand is. I mean, there's already been football programs um, that have hired outside, you know, sources to try to help brand individual players. Georgia Tech football, Nebraska football, I've read about, um, and certainly um, by how many followers you actually have. And it could be someone uh, on the gymnastics team that has more followers even than someone on the football team. And so I think automatically people think that it's going to be about just the, you know, like the basketball or football, but there's going to be people on campus uh, that have more followers than, 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 you, than you would expect. And those are the people that are going to get 
hit with the, you know, maybe more commercials and so on and so forth. You mean something like this? If we could bring this sound up, this is priceless. <laughs> Max, can you bring that sound up? Well, we need some sound. This is priceless if we can get some sound on it. Well, he, I think he's got to go. Max, you have to go to a full picture. Well, anyway, Muss's social media stuff is absolutely hilarious. Let's see if it's going to work now. Put a sub in. We need some depth. Oh, my God. Call a timeout. You're on a 2-0 run. Call a I know why we're down at the first media timeout. The coach doesn't wear a suit and tie. He's wearing a polo like he's going golfing. That's why we're down at the first media timeout. I'm so tired of watching our man-to-man. Please play some zone defense. Oh, my goodness. Are we ever going to call a play? Quit playing space and place. Call a play. Execute. We're up nine. We're up nine. We're up nine. We're up nine. <laughs> no stall ball, please. Don't milk the clock. Let him play. Let him play. Oh, my gosh. Big Razorbacks. That's price. That is price. Oh my gosh! That's unbelievable. You know, you know what's funny, Coach Greenberg, is when you've been fired enough, then you just don't really care, and you do silly <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> Shock! Are you, are you so guys going to change how you deal with it? Shock! Are you going to change how you guys do your social media? Because I'm like Duke spends a, a ridiculous amount of money on their social media, like ridiculous. Yeah, you know, I to me. And I, maybe I'm a little bit uh, behind on it, but I, I really think it's more about quality and and content than, than it is about necessarily quantity. I know, you know, to be an influencer, it's about how many people you have following you. But, uh, you know, if you look at the long term for these guys, you know, it's about who are you about, you know, and, and what are you trying to promote out there? So it's definitely something that, that we've talked about a lot and, and something that, that we're going to have to be much more involved in. Yeah, it, it is amazing how this this whole thing ha, has evolved. Speaking of evolving, all right, Scott, you and uh and Moss are kind of connected at the hip uh, through his dad. Why don't you kind of share? You play you played for Coach Mus- the real Coach Musselman. Uh, <laughs> you, 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 give us give us a good Bill Musselman. There's so many. Cause I, I have There's I have a story so from when I was in Pittsburgh. There's so many stories. Like he had me totally confused. I knew nothing about basketball when he was teaching the matchup zone at this clinic in Pittsburgh. I walked out and said, I have no chance to be successful in anything I do because I could not understand this clinic. And I talked to him after and he goes, come on. And I was like, my head was spinning. What's your best coach must story? Well, you know, and Eric knows this. I wouldn't be in the position I'm in now if it wasn't for coach must. Uh, he was tough. You know, I, I played my first year playing professional basketball was 1987, right out of college. And Muss uh, was the coach of the CBA team in Albany, New York. And he's a hard negotiator. I, he negotiated my first contract. I think I made 6,500 bucks. Uh, but you know what? I would not be in this position. He taught me so many things about being a pro. And the, the biggest thing I take is toughness. Uh, and and um, availability. You always knew that we would practice, and you have to play hard. And if you didn't, he he got rid of you. I can remember. I think we were playing like Wyoming 
Wildcatters. I mean, is that right, Eric? Is that the name yeah. of their their mascot? And and the player that I was playing against was Boot Bond. Boot was really a really talented player. I heard of him, played against him in the CBA, but he played at Pepperdine, and he, and he was really good. I twisted my ankle so bad in like the middle of the second quarter, and that thing blew up like like that. I'm at halftime, and and in the old armory, you're down there. You know, you're taking a leak at halftime, and the fans are right next to you. Say, man, good, good first half, uh, Scott. You know, hope we hope we close this game out. So I, I'm going down there. The the fireman is taping, retaping my ankle, and it's swollen up. And I'm like, there's no way I can play. So coach asked me during after the halftime, very emotional uh, speech and game uh, preparation or game adjustments. He said, Scott, you playing? I'm like thinking to myself, am I playing? I can't walk. You see me walking to the, to the, to the, <laughs> he said, are you playing? I said, coach, um, um, then, he, then he just looks at me, says, if you're not playing, you make sure you go see Mary tomorrow and get your ticket to, to flight back home to California because we don't want you on this team. You're not tough enough to play in this, in, in, in this league. And I'm like, okay, I'm playing coach. So I played, <laughs> I played the, I played the second half and played the rest of the year. We wouldn't end up winning the championship, but there's so many stories about about him that way i mean he was tough but he was fair and he, he was a lot like michael jordan if you if you loved the game and you played hard he was going to do everything possible to get you in the nba Mus, what's your what's your favorite story from your dad uh there's so many um i, I, I because scotty's on right now and scotty can kind of elaborate uh so Scott was rooming with uh, Scott Roth. Scott Roth and I were high school teammates, and they were both on that Albany team. And I think at the time, you know, the goal for that team was to try to go undefeated, um, to go 50-0. and 0. <laughs> And, I mean, it sounds so wild because you're playing three games in three nights, sometimes five games in seven nights. Uh, you're flying commercial. And I think they started off maybe like 17-0, and 0, and my phone rang, and I was a senior in college at that time at the University of San Diego, and it was Scott Roth. And he said, Eric, your dad has lost your mind, uh, his mind. You, you, need to, you need to get a hold of him. He continues to call Scott and I. And so I don't know if he was calling you guys at 4 in the morning, and Scott Roth was crying and said, we, we're 17 and 1, and, like, the world's coming to an end. So I don't know, Scotty, if that's true or not. But Oh, that's, that's true. He was, he, he was throwing his leather brown leather jacket all over the place, uh, drinks all over the place, and he was yelling out, who in the blank have you guys beaten? And we're thinking, looking at each other, well, we played just about every team in the league three times. So he played the whole <laughs> – <laughs> we played the entire league. No, but he wanted to, Eric. It was he wanted to go fifty-four and zero, and we talked about that from day one. We ended up going forty-eight and six, winning the championship. But he had that vision, and he actually had us all believing that we were going to go fifty-four and zero. That's unbelievable. <laughs> hey, Shaq, how hard is it now? Like your teams have always played their tails off. I mean, like now the VCU teams had a personality of their own. I mean, they they had the biggest chip. Of anyone, that's because I would never schedule your ass. But that goes—that's another story. <laughs> but I mean, like, how hard is it? The difference between like those kids who feel like they've got something to prove every single day, and then coaching those kids and coaching, like, say, even you—you you got great kids at Texas because you know, I've done a bunch of your games and I know Blake. I mean, I mean, like, how different is it for you? I think the major difference is the recruiting coach. You know, just the fact that 
those guys at VCU, I mean, really almost to a man, they were under-recruited. They were underrated. Uh, we were starting at the end my last couple of years to get some guys that, that were, you know, I guess top 100 guys. But for the most part, we were recruiting a lot of guys that were under the radar. And I just, you know, when I got here, I'll tell you a quick story about Mac Brown. He told me, he said, you're going to recruit five-star players. He said, and you're going to recruit some three-star players. He said, but your number one challenge is going to be that in the, for the three-star players and for their parents, the minute they step foot on campus, because they're coming to the University of Texas and they've been recruited that way, they become five-star players in their minds. And I didn't really know what he meant until having been here for a few years, but it was a great point that he made. And that is just, again, the mentality is, is different when you've been recruited at a certain level. And when you feel like, as you mentioned, it's, it's almost uh, a sure thing that you're going to go on to the NBA, which all of us know is ridiculous, but uh, that, that's a big difference. Now you have Brock Cunningham who I guess redshirted. Now, if he changed, I'm losing my mind because that dude is the bluest collared dude. I, I took him to Italy with me with, with Albert actually for Eurocamp. And he was absolutely the toughest kid I've ever, like he would hurt your ass just by like every practice. He took someone out. He's a tough nut. Yeah. He'll be a good test case coach in terms of staying the same. Cause he, he's uh he was an under recruited guy and he's a local guy. So I think he has an appreciation uh, for being here, but you know, and, and I think, you know, coach must would agree with this. One of the things that makes the, the better college teams really good is they, they have a few guys that'll buy into a role. And, and at this level, it's uh, that's easier said than done because the role that most or all of them want is leading scorer or leading <laughs> not taker or starter or whatever that may be, because those are the roles they feel like are going to get them to their goal of the NBA. Uh, but Brock's a kid, uh, since you brought him up, that's an example of a guy who doesn't mind buying into a role. Well, speaking of roles, uh, you know, all of you guys are doing different things to stay in shape. And uh, uh, explain your role, because we've got some video of you just absolutely, you know, just killing it in the backyard. Uh, and I'm just trying to do everything I can, trying to set an example for, for our guys. Uh, we had uh, a couple Fridays ago, we had a, a, an event that we did in our athletic department where we... Everybody's stuck at home trying to find different ways to stay so we really try to connect with the fans over social media. And uh, one of the things our sports information guy brought up was maybe, you know, show them what we're doing workout wise. So we're doing a little challenge. It's called the 100 Burpee Challenge. Uh, and every day we do 100 burpees. Uh, some of the guys on the staff and myself, uh, that's my daughter right there. She's my counter. And basically do 100 burpees as fast as you can for time. It sucks. Uh, <laughs> not recommend. But uh, it, it, it's been fun. Uh, how are your hamstrings after that? Actually, my shoulders. It's the worst on shoulders. Uh, I, there's, there's a guy named David Goggins. It's like this ridiculously crazy motivational guy, military guy. And he basically just ignores all of his pain. So what we've said as a coaching staff is we're going to try to emulate him for 30 days, and then we'll see the trainer after that. <laughs> well, Scott, you're doing something a little bit different, but it has to do with your lettuce on the top of your head. Now, like, 
I don't think it's that bad a deal. I mean, if this is the worst thing that happens to you, life is pretty good. <laughs> but I, I mean, once it, my hair has gone back on defense a long time ago, so I'm all good. <laughs> kind of explain what you're doing to challenge to raise some money for the people on the front lines. Well, my daughter's been trying to cut my hair for a while now. She's been uh, threatening me. If You better fall asleep tonight with one eye open because I'm coming in some buzzards <laughs> and, and, and shaving it down. So we decided to, you know, raise some money to the, the frontline workers. Like you said, at the top of the show, they're the heroes, I man. They're, they're out there every day and making us all, making us all safe and healthy. But we decided to, to shave it all off for 25,000 if we can raise by this Thursday. And, and we're, we're getting close. It's definitely going to happen. It's just a, a matter of, you know, what it looks like, you know, she's talking, she's talking a lot of garbage right now. It's, it's going to look, it's going to be an interesting look. I'm hoping that she just uh, takes it easy on me, but she's ready. She's ready to, to cut it all off. She's looking forward to Thursday. Are you getting? I mean, we going clean like Chrome Dome. I mean, like hair completely. I'm, I'm not so sure we're going about as clean as you, but we might. We might get it. We might get a little bit. Uh, I, I'm worried that you never know what's in here, man. It might be like scars and bumps and lumps and all throughout the years, but uh, but yeah, hey, it's going to be for a great cause and. Hopefully that it grows back, you know, in time for the season. Now you had Rui Hashimura this year, pretty special. Yeah. What, what what was he like? I mean, you're talking about the maturity of having a guy who kind of invested a little bit in his career, came over as an unknown. How's he been to coach? Terrific. Uh, the maturity, the consistency he has as a young player is pretty phenomenal. He's like, like we went to training camp. We were trying to give him the guarantees for spot. We we're going to make him work for everything, and, and and he did. He earned it. He started for us, and from almost day one, it was fourteen and seven every night. You can count on fourteen points, seven and seven rebounds. But consistent uh, as you come for a younger player that I've seen in a long time. I, I, the future is obviously going to be very bright for him. Uh, his teammates love him. His teammates love him because he works hard and he, he puts in great work. And the, the, his game is going to keep continuing to improve. He's just starting to pick it up. He hasn't played a lot of basketball. Uh, talking to Coach Few, you know, he didn't speak much English his first year, his freshman year, but now it's pretty good. He, he, he does a great job of, you know, communicating with his teammates, his coaches, but uh, he's going to be a really good player for us for a long time. All you guys, how, how is it dealing with, like, how do you stay connected with your team now? Like, I mean, I mean, I'm not sure if you have anyone on campus, Eric or Shaka or Scotty. I know if your practice facility is open. Actually, they're they're talking about DC being closed for a good long while. Um, how do you like Eric? How do you stay in contact and kind of still continue to impact your guys? Well, you know the 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 timing with college basketball was. You know, we were at the SEC tournament, played one game, won the game, getting ready for game two, and all of a sudden everything's canceled. We get back on campus um, on a Thursday, and everybody was gone by Friday. Um, and so we kind of had a natural, what I kind of felt like a two-week time period where we could let the guys be alone. Then we did, did uh, two Zoom meetings with the team, um, and then they rolled right into dead week, and then finals week just ended on Friday. So – we have not had a lot of contact with the guys just because of two-week break and then the finals segment. Um, but we're really this week going to start diving into a lot more Zoom meetings with guys. Um, I've been FaceTiming guys almost every night individually, um, try to get two guys a day 
um, sometimes three guys a day. Um, and then, and then with the recruiting, um, it's been the most competitive off season recruiting for transfers. Cause we've been so involved the four years at Nevada in transfers, but nothing compares to what the transfers have been like this year. Actually, I think there's, there's a lot of guys that are being over recruited, um, or their roles are being, uh, kind of maybe over exaggerated for what they're really going to be in reality. And I think the transfer market going forward, when you look back at this year, there's going to be a lot of different decisions made in, in, in the future. Um, but again, I think the only way that we can really get with our team, because they're not allowed on campus, is just through FaceTime and, and team Zoom stuff. Well, you've also had a couple of practices. So we had, I mean, I mean, if we, had, we showed the one video, we got to show the other video because I thought it was one of the best practices you've ever had. <laughs> On your rocker step and then go. <laughs> All right, Billy. Good, good, good. All right, Jake. All right, here we go. Let's go. Uh, let's go. Let's go. Come on, JD. Let's go. Work uh, on that rocker step. Explode. Hey, the great thing about that, it wasn't a bad shot taken. There were no turnovers. Everyone got back, Perfect communicated in transition. <laughs> Best practice I ever had. Oh, that, oh, that's great. That is, that is that is too good. What anything you guys on a serious level, anything you guys do differently now, like shock, anything you do differently to make sure your guys uh are staying the course, whether it's guys home and it's a burden on their families, whether it's you know, making sure guys have food to eat, or I mean, because I mean a lot of times, you know, I'm talking to coaches all around the country, some of these kids are going home and they're they're not as good a situation as they are when they're on campus. What kind of things can you do to help them, their families? What's the NCAA allowing? We're trying to be as proactive as we can within the rules. Uh, our athletic department created a, a student-athlete emergency fund to, to help some of the kids that are in, in tough situations. Uh, because you, you make a great point. I mean, uh, there's a ton of athletic departments, Texas being one of them, that you know spend so much money on supporting the kids while they're here, and whether it's food or other resources – but now the guys aren't here. So, um, you know, just trying to find as creative uh, ways as we can within the rules to support our guys. Um, you know, to, to me, the, the most important thing right now is their mental health. Um, just because, you know, we, and this, again, may sound soft, but it, it is a major, major disruption in their lives and in, the, in their careers even right now. So I think having an awareness of just how they're interacting with that and, uh, what, what's going on in their minds is, is the biggest thing. You know, we're definitely doing some basketball stuff, but uh, you know, to me, their, their minds are what's most important. That's a great point. Scott, are you, are you able to kind of stay connected with your guys? I mean, how, how in the NBA, is it any different? No, I, th I think you just, we're all trying to find ways to stay connected. We're doing, you know, Zoom workouts with our strength and conditioning coach. We're doing zoom ball handling workouts three times a week we're doing yoga zoom workout or yoga once a week but the last the last three or four weeks we have like i think 10 or 11 players that never played uh with john wall and bradley bill together 
you know, John has missed the uh, entire season this year, half the season last season, but we have so many new young players. So what we did was we went back the last time they were both together healthy. And that was in 2017, four seasons or four years ago in the playoffs against Atlanta. And we watched every game. We broke it down into four different groups with four different four players and three or four coaches each group. And we've had some great dialogue. And you, you, you really, it's kind of fun. I, I jump in on the meetings and listen to all their conversations. And we, we, we're, t we're doing it as like if they are coaching. And so they are, they're giving the, the you know, adjustments and, and things that they would do going into next game. And we finished the Atlanta series. Now we're on the Celtic series. We played them. We lost game seven to them uh, three or four years ago. So it's, uh, we just finished game two yesterday. So it's been quite a fun, quite a great experience to see all of our players really look at the game differently. I think that's so important. Like, I, you know, one thing I, I've started speaking to some some university teams, and one thing I, I'm I'm really emphasizing and just trying to I, I did it for myself is getting in a routine. So, like each night, I try to make a list of things I'm going to try to get done the next day, and then at the end of the day, I check you know, each time I do something, I kind of check it off in my mind, and 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 I look at it, I check it off, and I say, you know what, at the end of the day, at least I feel like I accomplished something, and to give guys a sense of accomplishment when if not like. Sometimes, like I have friends say, you know, call me up and say, what day is today? I said, well, it ends in a Y. I'm not sure what day it is. <laughs> I think it's Monday. It could be Sunday. Maybe it's Tuesday. But to give guys a, a feeling of accomplishment that, that, you know, and to give them uh, a goal. I mean, like we all live in goals and to give them a goal. And the other thing I, I think is really important. Your guys, Scotty, obviously are, are very fortunate. They're in the league. Even all, all players have opportunities. Like I'm trying to tell these schools to go and reach out and touch someone's life that's had an impact on their life. You know, that, that maybe they haven't talked to in a long time. You know, a, a, a kind of a sense of gratitude and someone that maybe needs to hear a voice. Maybe it's someone, an older coach or, you know, maybe it's a former teacher or someone just to try to put their, you know, to make sure that they're touching someone else's life. I'm sure someone's touching their lives, but I think it's really important, especially now, to, to impact someone else's life in some positive way. And just a phone call, uh, not, a, not a text, because, you know, a phone call to hear a voice, I think, is something that, you know, is, you know, to me, you know, really, really important. To, you know what's and what's what's going on. Where do you guys? Where do you guys? Just in general, just and this is just a broad base. Where do where do, where do you see? I guess Eric and and Shock. It might be a little different than Scotty. The G League Academy. I mean, like like to me, I have strong opinions on it, but I don't have a coach, and I don't have a I don't have to have a filter. I think it's wrong that they're trying to recruit kids right out of commitments. That's just me. I think it's wrong that they're. And I said this last week that they're acting like this is the only path. Well, for the last whatever number of years, you've you have four big guys in the NBA right now, or three or four big guys in the NBA. Shock. I mean, I just think how how do you deal with that as a college coach, and you know, just in your heart of hearts, what do you think? Certain guys don't want to go to college. I understand that, but in a big picture, good, bad, indifferent. How do you think it plays out? I guess I'll go with you, Scotty, first, and then I'll let. Those guys chime in. I mean, I don't. I really don't know how it's going to play out. Uh, I know this is the probably the easy easy out for the question. I just don't know enough about it, and, and I know there's so many different ways that players want to get to the end game, the NBA. It's 
I believe in I believe in the college experience. Uh, I believe in uh, the systems in place, uh, but you know it's not for everyone. Uh, so this definitely gives them options that because uh, you don't want a kid that wants to go to college just to, you know for three or four months and then leave and then jump, try to jump into the NBA. So I think the options are good. Mus, you've seen both sides uh, of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm one of the probably few guys that's coached in the G League, um, coached in college, coached in the NBA. Um, I agree with Coach Brooks that I, I really like the system as it is right now. I think that um, I look back as a 55-year-old man, and my four years in college are the, are the four funnest years of my life. Um and I think even if a player is going to go play basketball at the collegiate level for one year, he experiences the college life. Um, the G League is, uh, uh, if it's actually a G League team that's in the league, which we know that's not the case, I don't know how playing 12 or 14 games, how that really helps a player develop. I know you can dribble around cones and you can do – you know, practice all you want, but I still think the best way for a player to get better is to play in games and um, to play at Texas um, in that environment, in that conference, to play at Arkansas in the SEC. Uh, I know that that is a lot higher um, preparation for an NBA player dealing with the media after an SEC game or dealing with media in Austin, Texas is a lot more preparation wise for an NBA than it is dealing with a um, media one guy after a Bakersfield jam game or no media members after an Idaho stampede game or playing in uh, Casper, Wyoming for the Wyoming Wildcatters that Scotty mentioned in front of nine people. Like there's 20,000 people at Bud Walton Arena. I think that's going to prepare you a lot more than playing a G League game in front of fourteen people. Shock! I mean, you, I mean, you had you had one of your guys they tried to recruit. I mean, how hard is that to deal with? Yeah, it, it definitely changes some things, and I think that it's important for us as as a uh, a group in college basketball to really think through uh, the ways in which we want to maybe adjust how we approach recruiting because. Now you're not comparing apples to apples anymore. You're, you're comparing apples to oranges. Um, I, I think, you know, these guys make a great point. Uh, there's no one option that's perfect for everyone. Um, but at the same time, uh, I, I think it's also important to understand the holistic development or the holistic readiness that guys need to have to be successful, to have a long-term professional career. Um, and, you know, it'll just be interesting to see over the next coming years how they, you know, people will be able to look and see how kids get prepared, you know, it, uh, in that pathway or that group uh, compared to how they get prepared for us. I mean, let's face it, there's some guys that they could go any route and they're going to be successful long term. There's other guys that doesn't matter what route they go, they're not going to be successful in the NBA. But it's those guys that are maybe in that, in that in between, those are the ones that, you know, are going to have to make a really, really informed decision on what's best for them. See, it just scares me that you're going to have a group of guys like, all right, look, like Zion Williamson was a no-brainer. If a kid just flat doesn't want to go to school, that's one thing. But we devalue education. We also devalue the opportunity to go back somewhere. And we also kind of 
we've always made it so sexy to think, well, you know, if you go to G League Academy, you just go to the NBA. Well, it's not that way. We see it each and every year. You can go to G League Academy and they can pay you $150,000, $200,000. What if you're the eighth man on that team and you're making one hundred fifty? and now eight, nine, and 10, they're not playing that much. All right. Now at the end of that year, what happens? Or what if what if they decide to expand it to, to 30 teams and three and three teams? And now all of a sudden, let's say only 40 college guys a year basically get drafted. 20 of them are from Europe. Like, like my my biggest concern is we've got to find a way that what's in the best interest of these kids. And maybe one or two kids, I, I you know, they can go and make it. The masses. And I think, Scotty, you said that's an exclusive club, man. I mean, it's hard to join that club. Everyone thinks it's just a, a it's a right of pay. And it drives me crazy because you talk to these people and they say, well, I'm going to learn the NBA game. I understand NBA spacing. And I understand the 24-second clock. And I understand all that. But the stuff that college guys do every single day with their players is teaching them how to play, compete, be responsible, and be good teammates. And it kills me that that people are undervaluing undervaluing all of that. And maybe that's me Coach, being a college guy. Coach, the tough thing is I think there's been um, such an incredible emphasis put on the guys that are one and done. Uh, and then even before that, guys like Kobe Bryant or LeBron James that went straight to the NBA. But like you said, those guys are generational talents. Uh, Coach Brooks, Coach Kevin Durant, that's the guy that everybody here at Texas, you know, looks at as, as kind of the model. But uh, last time I checked, there hasn't been another one <laughs> that's come through here. So uh, the tough thing with basketball, I guess it's more subjective than maybe certain other sports where certain people think, well, maybe I can be that. Maybe I, I can go and be like that guy. Well, no, 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 you can't. <laughs> You're not him. you got to go about it a different way. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being in college for a little bit longer or maybe taking a little bit of a different route than those guys took. I do think Coach Greenberg is as everything's evolving. Like, so this is this G, new G League team is new. Yeah, I think the college game also can't be stuck. And we need to evolve too. Like, maybe we need to have a, a shorter shot clock. Maybe we need to be able to advance the ball. Then we can talk to players about, hey, our rules are unified with the NBA. Maybe the game needs to be 48 minutes instead of 40. At least those type of things have got to be in discussion, I think, because the world is always evolving. You know, think about what the G League used to be. It used to be 12 teams. There used to not even be a G League team owned by the NBA. It was the old CBA that was an independent league. Then it was 12 minor league NBA teams. Now it's everybody's got one except for Denver and Portland. And so – as, as the basketball world's evolving and European basketball's improving, we've got to adjust our rules maybe more unified with the NBA to help prepare players for that level. No, I agree, I agree, I agree with you there, uh, Masa. We've got to be forward-thinking, but we've got to find a way to bring all the people, all the partners together and say, like, what's the best interest of the kids? Because like my, my concern is we're going to have, I don't want to say a generation, but a, a group of players that really have nowhere to go back to. Like, like they could say they're going to pay for their education, but education is not mandatory. 
So they're saying they can pay for your education, but like it, you guys know how hard it is to make sure these kids understand that academics are important. And you know what? Put good days on top of each other, get the class, do the right thing. Eventually you're going to want to come back and earn that degree. But it, and you have something to hold over their heads, you know, to, so that they can continue to move forward. Imagine if you didn't, there's no way most of these kids are going to start. I don't think, I mean, they're going to be focused on one thing, being pros. That's why they decided this route. And I just worry about the unrealistic expectations of the journey. And, and maybe that's old fashioned or whatever, but I know I, I talked to Leonard Hamilton the other day. And like he said, he look, he wouldn't be doing what he's doing today if it wasn't for going to school. And he wanted to be a pro. And I, I can look at a bunch of my former players. Y'all can look at a bunch of your former players, Scotty, your former teammates. I mean, at every level, I mean, we've got to find a way to, come to the table together and, and say, you know, what's the best thing we can do? And maybe one thing would be kid puts his name in the thing and doesn't get what he wants. He can come back. He, he does the G league Academy one year. And you know what? It's not what he thought it would be. Maybe it's, he comes back and that money's got to be put in some type of trust. I don't know what it is, but I, I, I think I, I'd hate to see young people at 20, their careers not be what they wanted to be. And they have nowhere to go back to it. Just, that's one of those things that just eats at me, and it, it just 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 doesn't seem right for some reason. So, you know, we'll yeah. see what happens with it. Seth, I got I got just to add on to that. You know, the, the thing is, like you, you mentioned, it's the, the journey, the journey of the journey of an NBA or the journey of a basketball player is what makes you an NBA player. And to go that high school route, the college route, the NBA route, and a lot of these kids that I think they're getting some bad advice. There's only there's only 24 all stars in the league. And there's probably, you know, maybe four or five other guys that probably could make the all-star team. And there's like 420 role players. And in order to be a role player, you got to go through this journey. You don't just get picked. Okay, this is going to be a role player. You got to have those scars and those battles and those experiences that the college programs teach. And whether, you know, I'm not saying don't go to the G League, but that's all part of that journey to make it to the NBA. You don't just make it by saying, I want to be an NBA player. And, you know, waking up one morning just because you had this this dream that you're going to be one. It's, it's, it's the battle. It's the work. It's the journey that you have to go through in order to become an NBA player. That's a great point. That's great. I really appreciate you guys doing this. I mean, it's, uh, you know, to take time out of what you're trying to get done and just talk a little ball and kind of use it as a little bit of a diversion. And, uh, you know, most important things all need to stay safe and set a good example for the people in our communities and, you know, no surfing for you, Scotty. Stay ugly. <laughs> the big breakers in Newport. I mean, it's really important. Don't get lost in the woods, must. I mean, don't overexercise, Shaka. You, I mean, you're in good shape. You make me feel bad. I'm walking 10 miles a day with the dog. I go to walk with the dog these days. He turns to me and said, go on your own. I'm done with you. So, But uh, we do really appreciate you doing this. And also, I'll tell you what, there's going to be another Hall Pass show. Uh Basketball Jones with Mark Jones, which I think is going to be unbelievable. I think he's going to have Mike D'Antoni tomorrow, uh, starting May 12th, which is tomorrow. So uh, tune in to Basketball Jones with Jonesy. Jonesy's the best. And the great thing about Jonesy's is, you know, you're watching the last dance. I mean, the man was a trendsetter in terms of his his style and uh, the ties and the lapels. I mean, he was be he was better dressed than Jordan. I mean, it was unbelievable. <laughs> But uh, I really do appreciate you guys doing this. Stay safe and uh, take care of your families. Appreciate you guys. Thanks, appreciate Thank you guys. You. Thank you.